Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love no playing there. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You, you think you're better than me? Bye. All right, Ben, you're on the clock. Round two here. Pick number five overall. All right. What do you got? Well, this is uh, another very personal selection. Um, Chris, you stole 92 from me. That was going to be my second pick. Um, wow. As it was, it was the first one. So that was the first one that I, uh, the first time that I remember having rookie cards and like that I would actually like buy from the store, yeah. uh, like basketball, like packs of basketball cards and the 93 did rookies. Col- did you get college basketball cards too? I did. Every now and then I did. It always felt a little like, um, you know, like I wasn't quite getting my fix. It was kind of like a sad, like oh, I guess I'll take some 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 college cards. But yeah. uh yeah, I would get I would get a few every now and then when I, I don't know why. I, I guess I would like maybe I was I would such like them. a shark. Like I was already like I was completely jonesing for like a shack college. <laughs> yeah, card. right. You you, know, you understood as a kid that there like, was a value, value. Yeah, in a college card of a of like a very <laughs> talented pro. What the hell was I thinking? That's true. Yeah. Um but so for my second pick, um, I'm gonna go with the 1995 draft, and I have a very, very specific reason for picking the 95 draft. This was one that completely uh, a just four. like in the game consumed me, mesmerized me as a kid, and the reason why that is is because of a video game called NBA Live 96. Now, NBA Live 96 was the second uh, in the NBA Live series of basketball video games produced by EA Sports. Uh, And I had it for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, And so up till that point, I had played a few um, basketball video games as a uh, completely obsessive basketball fan. Uh, NBA Showdown was the precursor to NBA Live. That was basically like the NBA Live for the 93 uh, or 93-94 season. Um, but that basketball game had rosters, even though it came out in like late 93. So basically like during the 93-94 season, um, I was playing this video game, but that video game had rosters for the 92-93 season since they couldn't you know, update the game. Uh, you know that um, times were different, folks. Exactly. No internet. And then NBA Live '95 came out, which completely changed my life. Uh, 
still to me like the the, the biggest leap forward in NBA video game technology uh, of my life was was when I saw the first time I saw an NBA Live '95 commercial. Aspirin, aspirin, aspirin. Give me some aspirin. Pounding dunks. NBA Live '95. EA Sports. Oops. Excuse me. Pardon me. Oops. Coming through. Oops. Out of my way. Alley. Oops. NBA Live 95. EA Sports. You take it. No, you take it. You take it. No, you take it. Lightning quick passes. NBA Live 95. EA Sports. And the speed and the angle of the court and the fact you could do alley-oops and behind-the-back passes and, like, completely mind-blowing. Um, so immediately that, that kind of became my life, but that game had, uh, even though it was uh, live 95, it had the 93, 94 rosters. It didn't have the new rookies. Um, Mm. so basically every year I'm playing my video game and it's great and it's wonderful, but I'm playing with like already obsolete rosters. I'm not, I'm not getting the latest players. And then NBA live 96 came out in October of 95. So I, I remember very clearly I got it for Christmas in 1995. Um, and I put this game in, and I don't know how I even, like, figured this out or who told me. Um, but so NBA Live 96 was the first uh, basketball game where you could create a player. Oh, um, amazing. Which was... Basically, again, like, uh, it felt like a power and a, um, like, there was, like, a, a wonder and it's so hard to, to explain unless, you know, mm. uh, in, unless you, you were. You had to be there. You were like me. But I was just like, okay, I can live out my, my dreams. I can live out my fantasies. Like, this is going to be, I, I will play this game forever. Like, there's no we call end to the. the Ben B.A. Exactly. Um, but along with creating a player, they had secret players in, it was like an edit. It wasn't like quite create a player. It was like edit a player. I forget exactly like how it worked, um, in the, in the, in the game itself. But if you went into the edit player function and you put in a last name and you spelled it exactly the right way, cause you had to have like the exact spelling, <laughs> yeah. you could put in the name Stackhouse. Oh you could God. put in the name Oh my god. Garnett. Oh my god. You could god. put in the name McDice and the if you entered it correctly, the player would automatically populate with the correct height and look and uh you know, value attributes for all the different skills and suddenly in yeah. late 1995, I was able to play a video game <laughs> with psycho. the 95-96 rookie class. All 58 players from that draft, including historical players, by the way, that was another incredible uh, perk about this game, is that you could also type in Bird or, uh, you know, Jabbar or, like, I think they had, wait, I'm going to actually look this up right now, because they had, they had, like, 20 or, like, 30 historic players. Um, You could put in Irving, you could put in, yeah, they had, like, 30 historic players. You you could put in Frazier. Smith. Um, yeah, uh, lame beer. They had Maravich, McHale. Um, you could put in George Mikan and they had a guy with glasses oh, come up. George Mikan, number 99. God. Um, who just but, constantly got better. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to describe, but the, but the ability to play a video game with actual current rookies 
made me just so happy. It was just, it filled me with such wonder and joy. Um, and let's talk about some of these players. Joe Smith was the first overall pick out of Maryland. Um, you know, that's great. A, yeah, that's true. He had a, he had a good, healthy 16 year career. Not, not necessarily the most heralded or, you know, um, uh, celebrated player uh, of all time, but a very serviceable, but then uh, Antonio McDice at number two. This guy was derailed by by injuries, kind of like um, you know cut his cut his prime very short. But the, for the first few years uh, with Denver, um, an absolute beast, like a very like proto Amari Stoudemire. Like uh, basically, the way I like to judge draft classes is like again using my childhood brain. I'm like, how many of these guys like dunked? <laughs> um, like how many of these guys could like really dunk? A lot of these guys could dunk. Joe Smith could dunk. Okay, sure. This guy was like six foot ten, not like a hellacious dunker, but like a very capable dunker. Antonio McDice was a freak. I mean, he was very much like Amare before Amare Stoudemire. Jerry Stackhouse at number three, uh, dunker, folks. That that's a dunker right there. Rashid Wallace at number He's four. He's gonna do something um, to you. Which again, like back in those days when I cared about college basketball, that UNC Tar Heels team yep. with Stoudemire and Wallace. I know, yeah, I don't need to tell you, Chris. Stackhouse. Oh, oh, America! You're serious? That is a super. Look at him spot. Look at him dancing. Jerry Stackhouse. He's incredible. He's awesome. He's ramming. He's jamming. And he's slamming. There we go. What a play, Mike. Look at this, America. A reverse one-hand slam. Was that Jordanist? What an insane, like, to have a, a, a college team with the third and fourth pick in the same draft. Ridiculous. Um, so fun. And then number five, yeah, a fellow by the name of Kevin Garnett. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the first time we had ever seen a player come play. straight out of high school. This was before Kobe Bryant. Uh, Bryant came two, well, no, one had, year later. They had high school players. Then Moses Malone got drafted. Yeah, they had them right. in like yeah. the 70s, but then yeah. it like wasn't a thing anymore yeah. in like the 80s and like early 90s. Like they yeah, didn't they stopped it. They just stopped it. I don't know exactly know why. I guess I don't think there was like a rule change. I think it was just like oh, that was a rule not, change. Yeah, oh, was there a rule change? Anyway, yeah. Kevin Garnett was the very first one as a kid where I was like, oh my god, he's a high school kid. Now we talked about Kevin Garnett a bit earlier. Following shoot-around this morning, he was asked about making the transition from the high school ranks to the tough business of the NBA and his expectations. I'm saying, the NBA is no, you know, no weak league. You know, everybody here has you know, worked hard to get here, and they're very, you know, great players. So I don't really have no low expectation of it. So all my expectations are very high. Anything else, you know, if anything, it can be. It can be made low, but you know, for now, it's been you know what I expected. He stands 6'11. He was the fifth player selected in the draft last June, coming out of Chicago's Farragut Academy. Going to be fun to watch this youngster develop in the league. The way that like captures your imagination when you're like, oh my god, imagine like being in high school and then like playing in the NBA. It was like so insane. And then you got guys like uh, Big Country. At number six. The name says it all. Will they get him the ball? No. Go to your money man. Why not? Reeves with a fall away jumper. Good golly. Peyton from midcourt. He'll fling one up and that won't go. What a first quarter for this man from Gans, Oklahoma. And listen to the crowd here in Vancouver. 
29-28. Sonics leading the Raptors. Uh, the uh, Grizzlies, I've never seen Reed play any better stretch of basketball ever. Eight for- Damon Stoudemire, Mighty Mouse at number seven. 10.9 seconds. Stoudemire fires it up from three. Yeah! That's why he wants it back. That is ridiculous. 54 for Stoudemire. And then, like, lesser guys uh, who had better college careers than pro careers, certainly. But as a kid, huge, huge fan. Sean Respert from Michigan State, which is my dad's alma mater, so I was a big MSU fan. And then Ed O'Bannon, of course, just coming off the national championship with UCLA. Uh, You had Ed O'Bannon and Tyus Edney. come out of uh, that UCLA uh, team in the 95 draft. A um, couple more names. I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot of names at you, but can we talk about number 21 overall pick, Michael Finley? Nash, LaFrenz, Finley, and Nowitzki, the Dallas Five. And here comes Nash. Ahead to Finley. Michael Finley, again, kind of forgotten player, so nasty. Such an awesome dunker. Loved Michael Finley. And again, to type the name F-I-N-L-E-Y into my little NBA Live 96, <laughs> and then Michael Finley pops up, and I'm like, holy shit, I can play with Michael Finley. Yeah, um, yeah just just very, very good stuff. Um, let's see, any other names to mention in 95? Um, oh, Kurt Thomas, Nick's legend. Um, Corliss Williamson. Did, did Kurt Thomas like lead the nation in scoring? Yeah, he was like weirdly. Like, he, he like went to TCU. Yeah, and TCU led the nation in scoring, right? Yeah, he had he had like hilariously insane stats at TCU. Yeah, like he averaged like twenty and twenty. Yeah, yeah, he like, was ridiculous. Who is this guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you want to talk video games, anybody know? Any guesses where I'm going with this one? We have Mr. Ed O'Bannon at number Oh, nine. yes. I was going to say, Ed O'Bannon, also famous for his lawsuit. Yeah, uh, changing the, the game for... Did his for, brother also get drafted in the same class? Uh, Charles oh. was, I believe, also selected. Mm, maybe went, he went, maybe went, he went undrafted. Nets, right? Yeah, no Ed Charles, O'Bannon. no more O'Bannons in this. Yeah. Was I Ed think, O'Bannon drafted to the Nets? To the Nets, yeah. Yes, number, number nine Charles to the New O'Bannon Jersey go? Nets. I think Charles maybe got signed. I don't know, or maybe he got. Maybe it was the next draft. I forget. Um, but but uh, yeah, Greg Ostertag, Utah Jazz, great pick thirty-one for Chaz Obana. Um, do you guys remember Lou Rowe out of UMass? He had like nope. a Lou Rowe was like a name uh, for some reason. I think he had like a really good like. Uh, NCAA tournament, and I remember like Lou Rowe being like kind of cool. This was a bad draft for the Cavs with Bobby Sura. Yeah, high, we had Bobby high hopes. Sura was not great. Bobby Sura popped up hopes. in a dunk contest, and that's about all I remember him for. Yeah, um, he, he was not not the player we wanted him to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Theo the Ratliff. The Cavs were in the midst of a like a resurgence with Zadrinus Algaskis. Oh, were, that was the were, like kind of a couple players away from being. Relevant. Oh, really? That was the Zinjunas era. That was the Big Z era. Yep. That's what I was talking about, where I was like, oh, my God, he got drafted in this class, but, like, he didn't surface until, like, the 2000s, right? Mm. Who? Zildrudis uh, Algauskas. Oh, no, he didn't get drafted in this draft. Hmm. Sorry. Hmm. Well, anyway. 
sorry. Um, yeah. Also, a uh, another UConn great because uh, UConn was you know if I if I'm watching college ball, it's going to be to root, root on UConn. Uh, Donnie Marshall. Uh, no relation oh to Danielle God. Marshall, but remember Donnie Marshall? Of course, yeah. dude. Yeah. Yes. Drafted by Cleveland, as a matter of fact. That's right. 39th overall. Only played five years in the NBA, but um, yeah, those Marshall boys uh, on the 93-94 Huskies, they were a handful. Um, yep. Pretty. So this was the next right. year, Chris, right. 96. Got it. Which right. was a great draft. I'll uh, I'll take the baton here. Very nice, Ben. The '95 draft, yep. and with my with the final pick in round two, number six overall, Team CW is going to select Whammy, the 1996 draft. Hello, <laughs> there it is. Iverson, Kobe, Nash. So, um, yeah, I I kind of always approach these. You know, I, I approached this this draft thinking about, like, who's the big three from mm. this draft? Like, when mm. we look back on this draft, who's the big three that we sort of, like, earmark and think about? And for me, it was Iverson, Kobe, and Nash. They all changed the game of basketball culturally, I, feel, I felt like, on the floor. Each guy sort of brought his own distinct personality and, like, personal imprint and left it on the game. So with Kobe, it was his, like, Mamba mentality, do everything superhero brand of basketball with Iverson, Bennett. To me, that was like the closest manifestation to like watching hip hop. Mm -hmm. And like if hip hop could be a sport, it was Allen Iverson crossing over and going to the rim. And then with Nash, it was seven seconds or less, up tempo, that helter helter skelter offense. Um, Iverson, 11 time NBA All Star. Uh, 2001 MVP, seven-time All-NBA Rookie of the Year, four-time scoring champ, three-time NBA steals leader. He averaged he averaged 27 and six over 14 years. Um, ben, we've talked about AI extensively on the podcast. I often think about our our AI series that we yes. never quite so got around to finishing. Yeah, one yeah, of one of these so days it'll complete. happen. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, his career, I feel like, I mean, again, we've we've talked about AI, so I don't I don't want to do it too much here again. But like his time at Georgetown, I feel like really impacted me and how I thought about him with regard to this draft. Like his his success, kind of like Leitner, his success on the college level was very significant to me, and like his story. You know, like this guy who was this high school prodigy, two sport like Wonderkin on, you know, playing football and basketball, then wrongfully went to jail and then was like released from jail in this very high profile civil rights kind of way. And then went, you know, went to Georgetown under the wing of John Thompson. And then just as a kid growing up on Long Island who loved St. John's basketball, like Iverson owned the Big East. statement Allen Iverson does, and he does it at both ends of the court. You know, once he consistently starts hitting his, uh, his outside shot, uh, he's going to be an unguardable guy. He's just too quick for you to play both the drive and the shot. So, uh, he's unbelievable. I'm offensive-minded, but um, defense comes natural to me, too, you know, because I like to be involved in every play. Everybody really looks at me as a, 
offensive player. And, you know, I play defense too. And um, I could, you know, play on both ends of the court. His physical skills are impressive, but some believe Iverson's mental approach to the game is his strongest asset. I haven't seen anybody that's any more competitive than Allen Iverson. And when he walks into a gymnasium, he wants to compete. Uh, if the manager's the only person on the floor at practice, when he gets out on the floor, he challenges the manager to a game of horse one-on-one. In the way I got to see him play once at Madison Square Garden. In Damn, Hollywood. really? Yeah, I saw him in like uh there was like Oh, a, we've talked about this on the Iverson yeah, pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to like a doubleheader. It was like St. John's played Georgetown. And scores the basket. Half court zone looked like it was gonna be passive, and then immediately jumped out at it, left the lane for Lopez. <laughs> Behind the back. There goes the lob. Nichols on the pass. And there goes a six-foot-one guard. Down for a landing area. Here's a 1-3-1 one, one, half-court defense set up by St. John's. And there's Iverson. Yes, that's Iverson. Kobe was drafted 13th overall by the, by the Charlotte Hornets. With the 13th pick in the 1996 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Kobe Bryant from Lower Marion High School in Pennsylvania. A coming out party for the high school kid. Kobe Bryant meeting with the approval of that Charlotte fan in attendance here. And Hubie, this is a guy whose stock has risen every time he's tried out. People like this kid. Well, everyone writing when he first came out, well, he's going to have to bulk up. This guy is 200 pounds at six foot six. He is an offensive whiz. He's very, very talented. He has all pro moves. And when when you you look at him, you're talking about a young man with range. He can go off the dribble. He can get his shot. And in every place that he worked out, nothing but raves. No one talking about any shortness or a weakness in his game. Jerry West told me today that greatness lies ahead for this young man. Thought he was going to be absolutely fantastic. I recruited him out of high school, and certainly I believe everything he said in, in this man's ability. He is just flat out going to be outstanding. It's going to take him a little time, though, because he, he's going from high school, skipping college, into a very physical game. All he did was average 31 points a game his senior year. His team won the state title with 31 wins and three losses, and he eclipsed the uh, scoring mark of Will Chamberlain in Pennsylvania. This kid has got it all. Yeah, you get the package, and I think what you like best about him, everyone says that he makes everyone else around him a better player. And he's a a winning-style guy. Uh, We we realize that there's a lot to overcome when you come right out of high school. But if, if anyone has a good chance, this young man is blessed with outstanding offensive skills. His dad, Joe Jellybean Bryant, was the 14th pick when he was selected. Kobe, number 13. Let's go to Craig Sager. Well, Kobe, your dad can tell you about the NBA. You can watch every playoff game on TV. But until you go through the workouts, experience yourself, you don't get that firsthand. What was it like for the tryouts? What did you learn? Well, I learned that you have to work hard and you have to approach the game with a serious mindset. Uh, there's a step up from high school, and I understand that. So, therefore, every time I step on a basketball court, I'm going to put a strong effort out there on the floor. I'm, I'm not going to leave anything on the floor. 
you had the grades, you had the scores to go to college. Why the NBA? It's the ultimate challenge. You know, if I was 40 years old and I'm sitting back and I'm looking back at my career, if I went to college and played on the NBA, maybe I had a great career, maybe not, and I'm still having that down my mind, could I have answered that challenge? Could I have responded to the challenge of the NBA? And that's something that I didn't want to have on my, on my shoulders, so I just really accepted it. A year ago, is Kevin Garnett sitting where you are. Have you talked to him? What advice has he given you? He's talked to me. He's told me a lot of stories, a lot of experiences that he's going through. But all in all, he said it has to be your own decision. You know, he said that I, he can give me a lot of pros and cons, but ultimately it has to be my decision. Well, here's a copy of The Sting, the official book of the Charlotte Hornets with your new coach, Dave Cowens, on the cover. Do your homework before you show up at the Hive. Thank you very much. I, I'll make sure I will. Congratulations. Gary <laughs> West and the Lakers were looking to trade Vlade Divac's uh, uh, salary for a player's draft rights to free up salary cap space to make room so they could offer Shaquille O'Neal a deal in free agency. And mm. the rest is history. They traded Vlade uh, pretty well. for, for Kobe. He's going to wear number eight. And Kobe, um, this is for you. Thank you very much. And also a hat. <laughs> and I used to watch Magic Johnson bring the ball up the court at night. I used to envision myself, you know, in the hallways at the house, knocking down lamps and, uh, you know, creating all kinds of chaos in the house and thinking that I'm Magic Johnson. And it's just like a, it's just like a dream come true. Believe me, we're not going to be able to keep this guy under under uh, wraps or under cover. His uh, ability will shine through and very quickly. And then Nash went 15th overall out of Santa Clara to Phoenix. His rookie year, he played about 10 minutes a, uh, 10 minutes a game. wasn't doing too much with uh, Phoenix, and then was traded to Dallas. And everything kind of changed for him there. He sort of took off. I- ironically, he was traded to Dallas for some role players and the draft rights to a guy that would later become his future wingman, Sean Marion. Period and Odom. Nash again, the full court pressure by the Lakers. Dion Marion skies high and comes down hard. This is amazing. What an amazing night for the Phoenix Suns. They are not that wild. So Nash played six seasons in Dallas with Dirk and then eventually left in free agency to go back to Phoenix, where he became synonymous with Mike D'Antoni, seven seconds or less. Here comes Nash. He's got a bar to his right. Elevates at Jeffries. We just blew the doors off people almost every night. Nash, done The place is electric. We started off 31-4, and four, and with that, the players got confident. I remember having a meeting, uh, talking to the principals, uh, Joe and Quentin and Amari and Sean and Steve, and going, I don't know why this is working, to be honest with you. I don't know what we have here, but it's incredibly great. Coach Mike D'Antoni created this seven seconds or less offense to where we get the ball, get the ball in, and let's go. Nash won back-to-back MVPs, 2005-2006. He was an eight-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA, five-time assist champion, four-time member of the 50-40-90 club. He did that four times. Fundamentally changed the game of basketball. And essentially, he ushered into the game like the modern pace and space version of the NBA. The Phoenix Suns were the first 
team to really experiment with shooting like an overwhelming number of threes, stretching the floor, playing without a traditional center. These are all staples of the game today, and that is largely due to the impact of the Phoenix Suns and and Steve Nash. There's tons to talk about with this draft class, like Marcus Camby had an incredible college career at UMass. number two overall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was that? Like, did he... He must have been like on your consciousness as a kid growing up. He definitely in, was, in area, right? Yeah, uh, he definitely was, and I remember he had like a pretty de- good he went to high school in Connecticut. Oh, did he? I think he went to like high school in like Stores, Connecticut, or something. Uh, pretty sure, like he was that was born a big... in Hartford. Yeah, yeah, went, that went was to a West big Hartford, part of his... Hartford Public. UMass. Big um, part of his appeal was like that he was like the local kid that stayed local. Yeah, I like mean he should have gone like, to UConn instead of UMass. Like, but, but he didn't hey. go. To, he didn't go to Duke. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, he, he was a Big East Duke. guy all the way. Right. Um, oh, the Big and East. I, oh and God. I feel like yeah, UMass I think did pretty well in the NCAA tournament that previous. Yeah, it was Calipari. Oh yeah, with Calipari. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The mission gets underway at the Palace of Auburn Hill. The opponent, number one ranked Kentucky. Minutemen make an early statement to the Wildcats and the entire country for that matter. Marcus Camby scores 32 points and they cruise to a 10-point win. And I think Lou Rowe, maybe that's why I remember Lou Rowe, because that was his, uh, his point guard, Camby's point guard. Right. Um, yeah. But can we talk about the fact that um, the New York Knicks had three first-round draft picks, three, in this, uh, in this story. Incredible. Uh, incredible talent-laden 1996 NBA draft three who'd we, who'd we come away with Ben uh, must have been I mean uh, surely one of those players must have just by accident wound up in the Hall players. of Fame yeah, sure. with a draft class as loaded as this um, yeah and I remember actually the three players they they selected all came from not just NCAA tournament like teams but final four teams we're talking wow. about Syracuse, Kentucky, and Mississippi State, all three of which were among the four Final Four teams in the uh, previous uh, Final Four. Call it quickly, if not take it all the way, Wallace. They have a timeout. Wallace, what a game, Tim. Unbelievable. 2.8 seconds left. Robinson. It's over. Syracuse. And I don't, I don't, none of them uh, went on to. Well, but to, to be fair, this is a little John bit Wallace, of Nick's. Uh, John Wallace at number 18, Walter McCarty at Kentucky, number 19, and Dante Not Jones. Dante, Dante Jones, Jones from the one year State. wonder. Yeah. But to be fair, Ben, I mean, you know, who are they going to take? Malik Rose, Shandon Anderson. Yeah, I was actually Jeff like, McGinnis, okay. Yeah. Othella Harrington. It's hard, it's hard to uh, fault them Zedrunas. too much because there really you wasn't. Wish, you wish they take Zadrunas, but where's that? Where does that? That and a cup of, that and Nick will get you a cup of coffee. Yeah, there yeah. really wasn't much going on beyond that. Yeah. All that, all the talent was pretty much at the top end of the draft. Yeah. But I mean, Derek Fisher might have been nice. but They were one pick gonna... away from Jermaine O'Neal. That would have been kind of fun. That, that. Yep. But Jermaine O'Neal, one of my favorite. So some of the big impact guys here. So we we mentioned Marcus Camby. Ray Allen was a two-time NBA champ, 10-time All-Star. When you talk about Iverson at Georgetown, I always think of Ray Allen's game winner uh, in the 
Big East uh, Championship final against Georgetown. A guy that could finish the play in transition, and today he has really stepped up and has put Connecticut in a position for a chance to win. Gets it in the backcourt, and he'll bring it up. The shot clock and game clock, it's about a 10-second difference. They go to a 1-4 set. They're going to go to the Georgetown set. Uh-oh. A bit of their own medicine, huh? They're going to go to the Georgetown set. Remember, Georgetown will get the ball back. Now he's looking to dribble and penetrate and possibly kick it out. Ten on the shot clock. Going to try to kick it out. A little handoff. Allen with Iverson on and throws one up. And oh! Oh! Oh, Bowens! Unbelievable! Georgetown can win if they score. Iverson with seven, with six. Spades missed it. William, William rebound. Out. He missed it as well. You can't survive! One of the iconic sports moments of my childhood. Well, you got on. Rayon, by the way, the leading. No, Kobe Bryant got him. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, I was going to say Ray Allen is in the conversation for like greatest shooter of all time. He was drafted fifth overall by the T-Wolves and traded to the Bucks on draft night for Stefan Marbury. Mm. Marbury to me is like, again, one of, like we were talking about before, Christian Leitner. Marbury is like one of the great what ifs in this draft like Marbury and Garnett should have been the answer to Shaq and Penny I have proven that I belonged in the NBA but to me it wasn't about that I only cared about one thing winning and with my second season about to begin the Timberwolves added a player that was going to help me do that but he was more than a teammate. He was a best friend. And we had plans to write our own history. His rookie year, he was given an opportunity to play and get into games and learn from his mistakes. And then the next summer, he really worked hard on his game, then came in a little bit more vocal, a little bit more confident. And when you're putting in the type of work he did, you're going to get better. After only one year, Kevin Garnett seemed destined for stardom. And to make things even brighter, Minnesota would draft one of his closest friends, Stefan Marbury. Stefan and I, yo, when, you know, when he was younger, we used to talk on the phone. When he called me, you know, I called him. We were both running up our mom's phone bill. <laughs> now we're both in the league, we're on the same team. It was best time, best time of my life. From the second they took the court, it was as if they had played together for years. They were kind of yin and yang of, uh, of what you were looking for. Um, Kevin was an exuberant guy who loved to play. Into the big ticket and the slam! Steph was a little bit more New York City, a little more edgy. They switched up, and Stefan goes behind the back, inside. Oh! Stefan pulled the Houdini! Between the two of them, their center was really kind of where, where you want your players to be.
In his first season in the league, Marbury averaged 15 points, seven and a half assists per game, and was named to the 97 All All Rookie Team. Then in his second year, Marbury and and Kevin Garnett, who is in his second year at the time, led the T-Wolves to the NBA playoffs in 97 and 98. And then in 99, Marbury demanded a trade, wanting to be closer to his family back in Brooklyn. But it was pretty clearly like his inability to play second fiddle to KG. The closest of friends and teammates as they entered their 20s, Kevin Garnett and Stefan Marbury approached their basketball middle age with little good to say about one another. The latest sniping occurred last month, and Marbury said his son's teammate, rookie Amari Stoudemire, was much better than Garnett at a similar age. Garnett responded that Marbury obsesses about him, quote, like a girl. It ain't as complex as it seems. You know, I know, I know we've been yapping in the, in the papers and in the public and in the media, but you know, him, him and I, we have a, we have a, uh, we have a history. And that's something that you can't ever take, you know, whether we decide to build off that or just totally, you know, let it evaporate, and that's on us. The split began in 1999. Marbury insisted on a trade for Minnesota to be closer to his friends and family in New York. Thinking they wouldn't be able to re-sign him, the Wolves traded Marbury to New Jersey, where he got paid and ultimately got traded again to Phoenix. My analogy for Kevin Stefan situation is Batman and Robin. They're a duo. But nobody says, I'll be Robin. Everybody wants to be Batman. Kevin was Batman. Okay. Marbury didn't want to be Robin. He wanted to go be Batman on another team. And you know, you sort of hear, you know, from people from his camp and little things in between that to like, you know, he couldn't he couldn't play with you. It was, you know, the jealousy part or whatever, but until I you know, until stuff says that to me, I'm going off of, of all history. Marbury declined to speak about his time in Minnesota or his current relationship with Garnett. But Garnett acknowledges that the two rarely communicate with one another these days. It's almost like something that's broke. You know, when you get a hole in your windshield, if you don't fix it, it just gets bigger and bigger. And before you know it, your whole windshield is shattered. When's the last time you talked to him? Last time I talked to Steph. Wow, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. There was always something very tragic about Marbury's story to me, probably because I followed him so closely as a kid growing up in New York, and he always seemed like deeply unhappy under the microscope. I was around eight years old. That's when people start taking notice of him. You know, whereas you have regular eight-year-olds that just want to run around, you know, and play tag. I grew up around pressure. I grew up playing in pressure. You know, it was always a part of my life. Marbury, midcourt, launching. I just wanted him to do well. I always wanted him to be the answer to AI. Like I always felt like there was like a, like a, I wanted him to have this like mono a mono thing there with Iverson and, and Marbury just could not hold up his end of the bargain. And it seems like he was very unhappy, but he sort of found some happiness later in life in China, mm-hmm. which always made me happy for the guy, I guess. Talking about They're a guy really though. Nineteen and seven. Nineteen and seven. Nineteen point seven assists I mean, for his career. Nothing to sneeze at, yeah. Other great notable players from the ninety six draft. We talked about Sharif Abdul Rahim. Very fun. Ant- Antoine Walker. Very fun. Pedro Stoyakovich. Extremely fun. Kerry Kittles. 
Jermaine mm. O'Neal, Carrie Kittles, Derek Fisher. Big East uh, legend out of Villanova. Future Nick Great, Afel Harrington. Moochie um, Doris. Yeah. Vitaly Parpenko. Always love that yep. name. Parpenko. Vitaly Parpenko. Incredible name. Yep. So, Eric Dampier. Eric Dampier had a long career. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He played a long time. So, yeah, that is the selection. And 1996. Nick Legend and Walter McCarty, um, who did go on to a uh, pretty notable uh, singing career. He was a, oh. a jazz, I believe, <laughs> a jazz a member vocalist. of Boys to Men. Um, not quite, but he could have been. <laughs> Um, I think he sang the national anthem one one time at the garden, if not more than once. It was a beautiful moment, a healing moment. That's so crazy. A healing mm-hmm. moment for Knicks fans. Yeah. Also, junkyard can, dog can Jerome do, Williams out of out of Georgetown. Can I do something crazy for my next? Yeah, go ahead. Here. So, nineteen ninety seven to two thousand two, considered by many to be kind of a dead zone. Mm-hmm. In the draft era, some of these names, you got, you got, you got your Tim Duncan probably highlights these years. But I'm, I'm it, as long as it's okay with you guys, I'm taking '97 to 2002, and I, I'll tell you my reasoning here. That's five draft classes, obviously, mm-hmm. but it was really the when you're looking at all-time greats, it's Vince Carter and and Tim Duncan, and then a lot, Keith a Man lot of, excuse me, a lot, a lot of tragedy and misfortune and Yao Ming. It's but. You know, 97, three all-stars from 97 only, Billups, Duncan, McGrady. 98, we've got, uh, I guess you got Dirk and Vince Carter, but then Antoine Jameson, um, Paul Pierce, and, uh, of course, my main man here, <clears throat> Rashad Lewis. And then 99, listen to these folks that came out of the 99 draft. Meta World Peace, Elton Brand, Baron Davis, Steve Francis, Manu, Rip Hamilton, Kirilenko, Sean Marion, and Wally Zerbiak are the all-stars from 99. Mm, it's and not bad. Yeah. This, is the, this is where it gets bad, I guess. It's Jamal McGlure, Kenyon Martin, and Michael Red. 2000 was a rough one. 2000 was, was really rough. 2001, Gilbert Arenas, Tyson Chandler, Pau Gasol, Joe Johnson, Mehmet Okor, Tony Parker, Zach Randolph, Gerald Wallace. Now that is a motley crew. 2002, Carlos Boozer, Karan Butler, Yao Ming, and Amare Stoudemire. But this, I guess this era is just interesting to me because it seemed like, you know, other than Duncan, like, and a couple, maybe you want to argue McGrady. for, and Dirk, but, but, but not even McGrady. I mean, the, these guys were all kind of like successful NBA players who didn't win titles. And of course it was like the Lakers and the Spurs we're kind of keeping everybody down. And then I guess at the last minute there, like the Pistons, but this era of the NBA is, it's marred or marked by like really amazing electric players that didn't win. And mm-hmm. it's fascinating to see this, like a really, it was, you know, Duncan and, and Dirk got their team's titles, but, but nobody else here, you know? Yeah, I think that's also a product of, like, you said, like, really Pow, amazing. Pow, I guess, in 2001. Like, really amazing players who had all these statistical achievements who didn't win. And it's like, well, what does that mean, probably, that there was, like, one or two dominant teams and or players? Lakers and who Spurs. Were, yeah. Who were, like, sucking up all the winning. And mm, the answers were, like, out. Shaq. 
Shaq, Shaq and Kobe, Kobe, Duncan, and and yeah, tail end of the Jordan Bulls, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's just, but it's crazy to see some of these players. You're like, oh, I love, I love that guy. Yeah. T- who didn't love T Mac? Play correct out of the timeout, and Popovich obviously upset with Manu. Here's McGrady for three. Thirty-five seconds to go. Continues to hit at the line. And the Spurs now lead by seven. Rockets looking for a quick shot. Bowen is all over. McGrady. Foul is picked up. Yes. What a shot by McGrady. You'll see the screen by Yao Ming, which forces Duncan to help, and he just draws the contact and somehow gets it to go. Incredible shot by T Mac. 16.2 to go in the fourth. And Barrett can't find anybody. They have no timeouts remaining. Finally gets it in to McGrady. McGrady over Bowen for three. Oh, yes! Yes! Tracy McGrady! 13 points. They've outscored the Spurs 14 to 6. And this a moment ago. Well, they almost didn't get the ball in. And now you've got the best defender in the game on McGrady. How does he hit this? Bowen not wanting to pick up the foul. And McGrady amazingly somehow gets it to go. It's a two-point game. And a good job by Andre Barrett. They had no timeouts left. Close to a five-second count, but got the ball inbound. So 11.2 to go in this fourth quarter. San Antonio now clinging to a two-point lead. They've led by as many as 11. Yao Ming on the inbounds. Trying to make things difficult for Brent Barry. Gets it in. Kevin Brown lost it. Here comes McGrady. No timeouts remaining. McGrady for the win. Yes! McGrady with 33 points. San Antonio had won seven straight against Houston, and it's all McGrady scoring the last 13 for the Rockets. 13 points in 33 seconds. And he never had a doubt that he was going to pull up from three and go for the win, and why not? T-Mac was great. I mean, T-Mac was like literally transformational 30 point per game score like just never really impacted the league in the way that he could have vince carter same thing mm-hmm. even like antoine jameson paul pierce i mean paul pierce won a championship um but it just like it just sort of is like this era of like obsession with points per game yeah it's like the, i was gonna say it was like the era of em- empty calories right like it all was these like guys just low efficiency empty, high points per game yeah yeah just empty buckets also right. i feel like this was the steve francis baron davis yeah just like none, none of these guys are winners they're all just yeah uh, and it was also like sort of a uh cory mcgetty an era um that to me was like the pinnacle of like the oh these guys are like 2001, I'm looking at this. Top four picks 
so Pau Gasol is at number three. He's obviously a Great. foreign player. Yeah, we love him. But yeah. Kwame Brown, Tyson Chandler, and Eddie Curry all came out of high school. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like this sudden like. It's probably what they made the one and done rule for. Yeah, like it's literally, like, it was know, it was a backlash to this. Like this era is what created the backlash to drafting high school players because they were all like so flawed and everyone was just like oh these kids like aren't mature enough to be nba basketball players um five players in the top 10 in in 2001 were didn't attend american colleges yeah um it's a copycat league and i feel like when you when you see one version of a successful thing you immediately assume like okay that's everything right oh i'm gonna i'm gonna draft the next garnett everything yeah kobe came out of high school garnett came out of high school the answer is we should be drafting high school kids it's like no nine it's like darius miles is not kobe bryant darius miles oh man yeah like those guys i have a dunked master miles Shirt. I love Darius Miles. Yeah, that I loved him as well. So sick. Oh, he throws it down. He lost Buckner on the seal. Quentin, Quentin Richardson, Darius Miles, and Corey Maggette on the Clippers. Oh, what a fun team. That to me is like the the uh, the like most emblematic team of this era, where it was yep. it exactly was like all these guys can score you twenty points a game, shoot you thirty nine percent. Yeah, so and just fun, look, so bad, just like basketball. so sw- so swaggy. Yeah. Like so, so attitude uh, over, mm-hmm. over sort of like winning. Substance. Yeah, it's yeah. substance, I guess. Yeah, but I, I just a, but just a, such a fascinating era of, of yeah. the draft and so many players who we all know and love, but again, just didn't have the chance to impact winning I because they if went I from shared the uh, podcast with you guys. I don't think I did, but. I'll dig it up and find it, but I heard a podcast recently that Eddie Curry did, I think maybe with Hoops Hype, and uh, he did like an episode with them, and I always, because Eddie Curry you know, was drafted uh, as a high schooler, played for the Bulls, and then came to the Knicks in this like high-profile trade, he was supposed to be one of the many Knicks saviors, and right. he didn't, and he sort of became this like heel to Knicks fans, like just like this, like symbol of like broken promises, broken <laughs> dreams, or whatever. He was hated, and so as a Knicks fan, I always had this like weird, like ugh, like I resent this guy, and I was curious about him, and I listened to this podcast, and I developed like such empathy for him because it he very clearly says like he didn't like basketball, and like he was basically his dream was to be like a ballerina, a gym. Yeah, a gymnast, like a ballerina. Oh, wait, is, was it actually a gymnast? That was, no. that was a joke. But what I don't think people know is that basketball wasn't necessarily uh, the first thing you wanted to be. And and this was a little bit of a surprise to me, but um, it you wanted to be a gymnast before you started playing basketball? I did, man. Honestly, like it was a, it was a group of uh, tumblers um, called the Jesse White Tumblers. Jesse White. Um, he was, uh, geez, I want to, I'm, I'm, I forgot what he was in Chicago. He was like the secretary or something. He was something in Chicago and, and, so, and somebody's going to crucify me for that, but I'm sorry, but he was something in Chicago. But what he really did also was he always reached back to the community. He would have a group of uh, kids, um, tumblers. They were called the Jesse White Tumblers, and they would perform at the halftime of like the Bulls games. They would perform at 
the Bud Billiken Parade, which was like this uh this really popular parade in Chicago. Um and I just always aspired to 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 be a part of that parade. So like ever since I would say, man, third, fourth grade, I learned how to tumble. I learned how to do backflips and stuff. Um, we would take old mattresses and stuff that people were throwing out and we would always pull them out of the trash and, and we and that that's that would be our tumbling mats. That's how we learned to tumble like in my neighborhood. That's that I'm pretty sure it was like that all all over Chicago, honestly. Probably all over America, honestly. I, I would assume in all those type of neighborhoods that's what a lot of guys were doing. Um but yeah, man, that's what I wanted to do. Um I used to watch um the floor exercise. I used to watch Dominique Dawes was like my my favorite gymnast in the world. Like I always wanted to be uh, able to tumble like Dominique Dawes and, and and like that was really honestly like that was high up and honestly that became almost like a a, a novelty for me because when I would meet somebody the first thing they would say is hey I heard you can do a backflip and I would just do a no hand backflip right there and I'm talking about I was you know at that time I was six eleven. 280 pounds and I could still do a standing backflip with no hands. So it, it just became a, a thing. And of course, NBA people and, and, and college people and everybody else kind of started as like a display of athleticism and things like that. But for me, it was, it was normal. I had done that my whole life, literally my whole life since third grade. That's all I did was tumble. Wow. He wanted to be a <laughs> gymnast. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, Holy he cow. was a he was a competitive gymnast as a child. Wow. And was and was quite good. And At had this seven rid- feet tall? No, he had this ridiculous growth spurt. And basically wow. he was sort of I don't I don't mean to say his family forced him into doing this, but like How did you then go into basketball? How, when did you first start getting was, into ball? Yeah, I was uh I'll say I got into ball around seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. Um, I was just tall, man, honestly. Um, so in, in school, they had me do all the tall stuff. I was playing the trombone because I had long arms, so they kind of made me play trombone in high school, in, in, in grade school, middle school, I, I should say. Um, I really tried to stay away from basketball because I wasn't skilled at all. Like, I literally never played basketball. Um, one of the coaches pretty much made me play on the team um, in seventh grade, um, Coach Scott. His name was Mr. Scott pretty much made me play on the team. And uh, I was so embarrassed to play. I didn't even tell my mom that I was on the team. I would just tell her that I was staying after school to do extra work or something like that. And um, I would go to my games and I would come home. And then eventually, eventually, um, my aunt actually, I don't know how she found out, then she said her friend told her. But she actually called my mom and was like, hey, are you going to Eddie's game today? And she was like, Eddie's game? She was like, Eddie's gonna play basketball. She was like, girl, Eddie played basketball. I'm going to his game. So I was I actually went to the game and my mom and dad just showed up and I was so embarrassed. I couldn't even believe it. But uh after that, that's when I kinda we ended up playing uh Prairie Hills High School. I'll never forget we played Prairie Hills High School, which was a high school out in the south suburbs. Um end up my friend, he, he will become my friend, his name is Armand Gates, actually his brother Dennis Gates just became the head coach at uh Mizzou. Um he saw me play and was like, yo, you need to come you need to come play with our AAU team. Um he ends up 
telling him, telling my a, the AAU coach about me. The AAU coach comes out, and I mean, kind of the rest is history. Honestly, like he kind of he talked me into coming to play. He invited me to come to the tryout or whatever. I didn't really want to do it. Um, my parents were like, "Okay, it's your decision. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to." I said, "I don't want to do it." And I think maybe the day before it was supposed to start, they were like, no, nah, you're going to do it. And that was, you know, the best thing that ever happened. They made me go do it. I literally cried. Like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I ended up going and I just kind of fell in love with it. I was a little better than I thought I was. And then just being around guys my age that were trying to get better, being around, being in, a, being in an environment where, um, where, where it was just all basketball was pretty, pretty cool. Everyone's sort of teachers, family, whatever, whatever, sure. like forced forced him into this. Like, hey, you have to do this. You have this unique advantage. Yeah, you actually have a shot of making it. And like, yeah, and also like it'll help you with your confidence. It'll help you make friends in school. All the all the reasons that like children play sports. But it was never his basketball decision. was. This was never his dream, mm. and it was not his personality type at all. At like he was not like a killer. Like he did not like want to like beat people up. Like well, that it's so funny not... because that's what he exactly was cast it makes as it makes so Shaq much too, more you know? sense when mm-hmm. you understood like when you understood when you like watched him play and heard him speak. You're like, why does this guy not? He doesn't seem to fit the part. Like we want him to be Shaq, but he's like sort of like soft spoken and like has like the soul of like a poet. Like he's not like a he's not like a fierce gladiator. Like this mm. is like a miscast thing, and um. I developed so much empathy for him and uh, I forget how we got on the topic maybe because we were talking about high schoolers yeah, just being miscast. miscast. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that was the case with a lot of these kids where they were just sort of like thrust into an opportunity. Yeah. He didn't play like, basketball until he was in the seventh grade. Jeez. Eddie Curry? Yeah. Yeah. His, yeah. Father, his father said, for a long time, Eddie hated basketball. Being a gymnast was his backyard dream. I'm going to share this podcast episode that I, that I listened to. I'm telling you, like it's amazing because he talks extremely candidly about his time with the Knicks and like how it'll, it just like, will it will make you like him so much and be like, I am genuinely happy that this guy is retired and like, I don't can now actually pursue things that he likes. I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but this is as you grow up and you're, when you're a kid playing 95 NBA basketball, you're like, Oh, wouldn't it be great to be a pro athlete? Unless you loved, like, like, and this is crazy to me that you would, I mean, obviously I love hoops, but to love basketball so much that you would forego basically every other part of your life, enjoying anything else other than playing one game for like 20 years, like you can't get married, you can't eat what you want, you can't go where you want, you can't travel where you want, you can't do anything but play basketball would be a ridiculous prison for someone who didn't just like absolutely pick up a ball every time you picked it up, want to just put it in a hoop. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if you, if you were even remotely interested in anything else, you'd be in a prison. You would yeah. be so stuck. That's a real, yeah. that's a real grind right there. A seven foot body having to travel, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, more than half the year, work out all the time, not eat what you want. You can't have any stable relationship because nobody else in the entire world like travels that much or does that many like training things. How could you, you couldn't even have a life. And as you're, when you're young, you're like, these guys must be so happy. I can't imagine my employer dictating like what I ate and where I was every hour of the day during my twenties and (laughs) thirties. 
Yeah. Uh, that would be nuts. But there you go. I mean, it'd be I great will, to be a millionaire, but I'll share. I'll share the podcast list uh, with you guys, and for our listeners, find it, uh, uh, and I'll I'll tweet it out or whatever. But uh, for time purposes, let's move on. Ben, your your final selection here in round three. Go ahead. All right, thanks, Chris. Yeah, my final one is so if I'm being honest, like the '92 draft was the first like rookie class that I remember, but I didn't actually watch that one. I think it was like. Yeah. It kind of happened before I was, like, really aware and, like, following, like, day in and day out. But the first one that I absolutely remember watching was my third selection, which is the 1993 draft. So bad. Um, <laughs> let me ask you guys if these guys can dunk. Okay. Chris Webber. Dunker. He's, He's a dunker. dunker. He's a dunker. Sean Bradley. Bradley from Hornishaw. He can yeah, dunk from his dunk. standing leap. <laughs> Sean Bradley tippy could dunk. literally dunk from his tippy toes. Yeah. I remember. No jumping, like, no jumping involved. No, no dunk, jumping. No jump dunk. It, he was, I mean, I don't want to use like, like, uh, no, you know, go ahead. The yeah, guy dunk. words that, no, that this is pornographic disparaging or dehumanizing. But the man, as to a 10-year-old, is a circus freak and absolutely <laughs> captures the imagination. Um, like, I, you know, I guess at this the point... The idea that you're like a circus freak <laughs> so, to a 10-year-old. I could. I would make like, him skinnier and taller. Uh, my eyes would just pop out of my head every time I saw this man. Who is he even a man? Is he, is he a, is I'd he a monster? Him, I'd, train him to a, I'd chain him to a hoop. I'd stretch uh, him out every day. I, yeah. And oh um, the whole class is, oh it's God. incredible. And for New Hardaway. And Hardaway with the steal. It's a four on one. Hardaway, Ethan Mitchell, serving up a faithful. Whoa. Nash, Jamal Nash, Dunks, Dunks. Isaiah Ryder, slam dunk champion. Oh, between his legs. How about it? Charles Barkley, what do you think? The very first slam dunk contest I ever watched live, the 94 dunk. slam dunk contest, the um, East Bay Funk Dunk. Um, Dude, Calbert Chaney? With the sixth pick in the 1993 NBA draft, the Washington Bullets select Calbert Chaney from the University of Indiana. Calbert Chaney was a how bucket. Calbert Chaney was Buck at Indiana. Like he, I don't he have to tell to... you that Vin Baker can dunk. Vin, Vin Baker could dunk. You know who could dunk? All right, this is like more of a uh, not real, Lindsay real Hunter hoops head guy. Lindsay Hunter, not much of a dunker. I think he, he maybe yeah. did it once. But number nine selection, Rodney Rogers. Rodney Rogers. Oh, oh my goodness, Rodney Rogers. This good dunk. guy was a low key beast. He could dunk. One of my favorite teams in all of history, the '94 Nuggets, that eight seed that upset the number one seed Seattle SuperSonics. Rodney Rogers, a key bench piece on that squad, along with Robert Pack. Um, I I was actually a uh, quick side note. I was trying to figure out what year Robert Pack was drafted, so that that would just be my number one overall selection. <laughs> uh, since Robert Pack is probably one of my favorite uh, non players of all. T- Robert Pack was never drafted. He was uh, signed, undrafted, signed, uh, signed, undrafted. So if you're wondering where Robert Pack wound up in the mix was not drafted. Um, but I feel like he would have been spiritually he was like a 90 93 or 
Uh, although I think he actually started playing in like 91. Um, anyway, um, yeah, this, this, this draft was fantastic. Alan Houston. And Gundy calls a play a triangle. That usually means something for Ewing. Alan Houston. Houston ducks under. Got it. With a tense left. You get a look at the clock as the ball is going up. There's two, the ball dancing around, comes down. This time, Allen Houston is legit. He is the hero on a tough day. He seals the deal with eight tenths of a second left. Scott Burrell out of UConn. Man, UConn just cranked him out. Uh, yeah, the, UConn yeah. had quite the run there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sam Cassell, really, really, really fun. Sam Cassell. NBA player. Sam Cassell. Ugh. Shot clock at 10. Sam Cassell loves these moments. Sam Cassell! One of the... Current, yeah, current coach, right? He's a coach. Uh, yeah, current coach. Um, but one of my first absolute nemeses. nemeses oh um, hated him. Hated. Absolutely finals. hated. A, a, rookie, hated a, a rookie has no right to make that kind of impact on a, on a finals outcome. Uh, oh, he was a hard Pay your dues. Pay your dues. Um, this whole class. Irvin Johnson, George Mearson. I was just going to ask you what you would what you would do to George Mearson on 7-7. Listen to the trees. We'll see the trees. We had, we, had, we, had, we had Sean Bradley and George Mearson in the yeah, same Yeah, that's quite draft. the draft. How is that possible? It's quite the um, draft. Can we talk what about a uh, little number Nicky 37? Number 37 overall pick? Very Nick nice. the quick. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. He got it. What in the world is going on? One of the sickest point guards in NBA history. Elite, elite NBA (sighs) video game player. So awesome. By the way, so cool. If you had Nick Van Exel on your NBA Live team, you were you were he was scoring forty and you were winning the game. Yeah, so Um, fast. He was uh, one of the coolest. Uh, yeah, Lucius what a, Harris. Wow. Oh yeah, Lucius Harris. I, I'm sure I had like multiple Lucius Harris cards that I was trying to pawn off on people as a kid. Uh, Brian Russell. Um, who could forget I mean, his his uh, role in NBA history? But not not Brian, but B R Y O N Russell, right? Oh wait, is that not Byron Russell? No, it is. It's the yeah. Brian. It's Brian Russell. Not, it's B-R-Y-O-N, but it's yeah. Bryant, not Byron. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was But the Brian Russell from the 98 finals. Um, yeah, just a great uh, a great, a great class. I love Darnell Mee. Darnell Mee, M-E-E. Um, There's even a fella named Spencer Dunkley. <clears throat> oh, man. He never dunked, but his name... <laughs> never dunked, never played in the league, but it was a 6'10 center, and... His name was Dunkley. Dunkley. Fantastic names. A.C. Earl. Ugh. Ugh. Now we're just saying <laughs> names. <laughs> Incredible. Um, you like names. You love this All right, draft. For the sake of time, guys, I'm going to round us out here because we're, run- we're running long. All right. Um, Got to keep an eye on the, pick, on the clock here. Yeah, round three, pick number nine overall. Whammy, this is a cap tip to you. This is the 2003 oh. draft. LeBron, I thought we'd almost get away with that. Yeah. Dwayne Wade and Bosch. Um, yeah. So, like I was saying before, my approach with these drafts is, is always like, who is the big three? And, and that's really, a big like, three. This is a big four: LeBron, Wade, Bosch, Melo. And you know, I don't know that there's a ton of 
depth with this draft. Um, there is, like in fact, not. <laughs> we have one of the all-time busts with, with Darko at the second overall pick, but the the headline attractions um, you know, speak for themselves. So LeBron was probably, you know, no, not probably, was the most hyped high school sports prospect and most anticipated first overall draft pick in modern sports history. James enters his last two years of high school as the top prospect in the nation. I don't want nobody to pass me. I mean, they say I'm the best player in the country, and I wanted to keep it that way for the next two years. I always knew he was going to be good. I got to admit, never knew it was going to get this big, though. James spent the summer showcasing his talents at various camps throughout the United States, but attracted nationwide attention for his dominating performance in mid-July at the ABCD camp in New Jersey. I just wanted to play my game. My game is to, I can score, but I can pass to, and I can read. I can do so many things that can help my team win, and that's what I did. It was also during that camp that stories began to surface about James hoping to become the first to leave high school early and turn pro. But as he prepares to enter his junior season here at St. Vincent St. Mary, he and his mother decided to set the record straight. To squash it all, he's going to finish high school. It's, everything is coming fast enough. There's no need to rush it. I never considered that. You know, um, it wasn't even the thought. You know, you really can't even do that. I, I don't want to go through that. I want to graduate with my class. I, I got three best friends, uh, Drew, Willie, and Sheon. And um, high school, you can't come back to. And um, you know, prom, you can't come back to. I talked to um, Tracy McGrady when I was in New Jersey, and he just told me a lot of things that just inspired me. Like, when you get out of the court, you got no friends. And you know, um, I, when I get out on the court, you know, um, sometimes I underestimate who I'm playing against because they might be on the same level as me. But he told me that it don't matter who you're playing, you just got to kill them. And you know, um, that's what I'm coming into the year next year with. And you know, um, whoever we play, I'm coming out to get them. All St. Vincent, St. Mary opponents should consider that fair warning. From Akron, Gary Sayers, Ohio Sports Report. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a high schooler. And from the time we were kids, he was the anointed one, and it was clear that he was going to change the NBA. And what I don't think we understood by any stretch of the imagination was that his impact was going to go way beyond just basketball. He fundamentally changed all sports culturally and essentially ushered in professional sports as we know it in the age of like the internet. Player empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. He made the transition, right? The social media, first social media superstar. Yeah, LeBron crystallized the idea that athletes were brands, which is like so gross, but it's it's really what happened. This was like this was always coming. Obviously, Michael Jordan was synonymous with Gatorade and, and Hanes underwear. But it was but it was LeBron, at the behest of those companies, and LeBron, yeah, LeBron is kind of the man LeBron was the brand. LeBron reimagined yeah. all notions of like commercial endorsements, whether it was. Beats by Dre or Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Nike, LeBron just became this like walking billboard of sorts. Mm. And having LeBron consume your product was this priceless thing. And to be clear, like it wasn't just him doing commercials. It meant like, you know, him, he just became a reality television show. So it was LeBron walking around wearing your, your product or drinking your drink. And um, to give you an idea, LeBron has, you know, has a lifetime deal now with Nike in place that's that's worth over a billion dollars. <laughs> He's getting paid like 30, 40 million dollars annually until his 60s or 70s. Um 
he's played a part in activism. Uh, he's played a role in social media, entertainment, investing. So he was drafted number one overall to your Cavs whammy and instantly changed the fortunes of that team forever. And it's weird because like the Cavs, Ben, I the Cavs that I remember were always this team of like Mark Price and Brad Doherty. And it was kind of like sad and small market. And there was it something was. sort of, Something sort of somebody like came along and changed all that. There was something sort of like tragically like Midwestern and like sad about like well, it just felt like gloomy and like, ho- being, like hopeless. Being a Cavs fan was exact hopeless is the word. It was the act of watching your promising young players either get hurt or get out of town. And then also when you'd come up against Jordan or you'd come up against you know anybody from a bigger city they would just torch you and it was like you were fodder growing up you believed you were fodder for the rest of pro sports to just they you were the team that you got beaten on the way to the the glory yeah Yeah. exactly yeah 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 and lebron you know changed everything and and changed that narrative during the 2000s the Cavs became this powerhouse of the east they were staple in the playoffs lebron was the second high schooler to go number one overall. Like we talked about, he was the, the first being Kwame Brown. And then Dwight Howard would also go number one overall in 2004. Um, Active. Seriously. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Active NBA player worth $1 billion. Insane. Net worth of a bi- first billionaire active NBA player, 20 years in the league, and he's still showing Doing very it. little signs of drops off he's missing some games here and there but so, yeah that's why he made my nice list uh you guys remember a couple weeks back a few weeks yeah ago. like yeah. several weeks ago now i don't yeah, remember boy. exactly which pod that Barely was remember yeah I think hilariously Dwayne wade mellow and bosh are like the sloppy seconds in this conversation which is <laughs> which is crazy for like nuts. any other draft carmelo yeah. anthony was the third overall pick to denver and he was a 10-time all-star he was a scoring champ six-time all nba he had that iconic battle on ESPN when Oak Hill played St. Vincent St. Mary. I don't know if you guys remember that. A high school game here in Cleveland has attracted a crowd of 10,000 here tonight, but it's not just any high school game. It's Phenom LeBron James against the number one ranked team in the country, Oak Hill. LeBron mania goes national here tonight. He won the NCAA championship with Syracuse in 2003. It's unusual at that time freshmen hadn't carried a team like that. Nowadays, it's not unusual, but at that time, to have two freshmen carry your team to the national championship was special. First school that was recruiting me was was Syracuse. Carmel Anthony, I went to see when he was a junior. I rarely go out during the year, but my assistant, Troy Weaver, uh, said, you know, coach, you got to come see this kid. I was about to go to the athletic director be like, we need a private plane because we need to get him down to see this game. Once I saw Bayheim come to Baltimore, came to my neighborhood, like I just felt like it was a realness there. Like I felt like I, I owed him something. Throughout the course of the day in school, it's like, oh, Syracuse is coming to the game, Bayheim is coming to the game. So I'm like, oh, like, tonight's the night. So the game starts and he comes down and he hits a three. Then he went by the guy and pulled up and hit about a 15-footer. Then he came back and he stole the ball. He went down and dunked on two guys. And I turned to Troy, my assistant. I said, why weren't we down here before this? (laughs) He looked at me like, you got me seeing all these other guys. It's the best play in the country. 
So he had said to me, this guy could help us win the national championship. I said, I think you might be right. You know, he's, he, he's that good. And uh, it turned out to be a good, one of my few good predictions. He's your number nine leading scorer in NBA history, Carmelo Anthony. Number nine. Most points all the time. Dwayne Wade drafted fifth at a Marquette went to the Miami Heat. He won three NBA titles. He was an NBA Finals MVP, 13-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA. Ten seconds left. Wade against Iguodala. Five seconds left. Waiters back to Dwayne. Shoots. No, he couldn't get it off. Now fires it up. Bank it in. It counts. It counts. The Heat win the game. Dwayne Wade won it for Miami. 126 to 125. It just happened. In time, let's take a closer look here on your screen. Totally off balance. Off the glass. Circus shot and Wade, the hero once again. Bosch played for Georgia Tech he uh, for a year and then was drafted fourth by the Toronto Raptors. 11-time All-Star, two-time NBA champ. He played alongside LeBron and Wade in Miami, obviously. And even after his career was cut short by blood clot issues in his leg, he, he's, he's relevant. Be first, first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so, Question for you, Chris. Yeah. We're on the eve of LeBron James taking over the scoring record from Kareem. LeBron will do it in fewer games played. Kareem played 1,560 games, had about 38,400 points, give or take rounding there. LeBron's going to overtake him probably this season, 1,388 games. So somewhere in the 1,400s, he'll overtake Kareem, scoring over 38,000 points himself. He's at 37,655 now. So he does put him like kind of at the end of the year, beginning of next year, he'll pass him. I was listening to a another Hoops podcast, and they were talking about how Kareem's scoring was more impressive because if you look at field goals made, LeBron will not surpass Kareem in field goals made. He will surpass Kareem in scoring, and he will do it in less games, but he will not score as many field goals as Kareem did. What is your take on that? as a debate because to me I'm like clearly LeBron is a better scorer because he scored more points in fewer games um, there was a three point line when Kareem played Kareem played a different position he also played in a way that didn't result in as many fouls because yeah. LeBron like, drives yeah. and Kareem so this all to say that LeBron hit more threes like he's well but also free throws the bigger thing is actually I mean obviously threes fouls. it's threes is six sixty six thousand three hundred and 43 to 18 for Kareem. But then the foul shots is also, you would think Kareem as a center would make more free throws, but 7,900 to 6,700, LeBron is leading him by about 1,000 free throws. I mean, the game has changed so much. It's kind of, it's like, I I don't know. I feel like Kareem, if Kareem played today, he probably would have developed a three-point shot. Also, he would have had more fouls called, like he would have been at the line more. Well, he he didn't bang. You know, the skyhook was not a fallible People weren't really yeah. That wasn't a foul drawer. Pe- people weren't people weren't really fouling him when he was skyhooking. It was a dominant shot, but I don't think he was really getting fouled as much as he was. You know, back to the basket, putting up a skyhook. You're not really going to get hacked. LeBron was just for a ten year, twelve year period, mercilessly driving in one direction towards the hoop, and literally probably has more uncalled fouls than almost any NBA player in history. He could have averaged like 20, 30 free throws a game if it was called 
in a real tight way, but he was so big that they would let these six, three guys just grab him. And similar to Shaq, like you could have called a foul on Shaq every time, but Hmm. anyway, what, I mean, I feel like, you know, it's, it's different with eras, but to me, LeBron is the goat. So, yeah, I don't take any, um, I don't, I don't take any shine off what LeBron has accomplished just because he's doing it in a different time. He's hitting threes. And I also believe that like Jabbar, like Kareem, if he played today would have adapted too and he would have been a different player and i'm sure he would have been just as outstanding yeah like his, maybe his coach would have said like hey we need you to stretch the three-point line he would have developed the three-point shot or like or vice versa if lebron played in the 70s and 80s like you know I, to correct the record I think they're both great guys 2100 makes of threes for lebron's 6300 attempts and one make of a three for kareem 18 attempts all right, guys, I was going to say, been... I was like, oh, that's yeah, funny. 6,300 threes for LeBron. That's pretty threes. good. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, Great draft. Really? Wow, what a what draft. A draft. Top shelf. We did it. We, did we it. should draft draft podcasts. Yep. We could draft uh, our previous drafts. That would be fun, actually. Saying, yeah. We should totally do that. There you go. Thank okay. you for listening to Swish FM. Rate, review, subscribe to the show in Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places to get pods. Uh, boys. Check out uh, my picks on the gram. Okay. It's a pleasure as always. And uh, enjoy the hoops. We'll talk to you next week. Peace out, boys. You can listen to Switch. 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 Switch